You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Thank you, Brother Ken. And... Uh... Quite a quite a truth doctrine that when we're when we are saved we are placed into Jesus Christ. I don't know how that works. I just know that um, we are placed into Christ, and our 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 submission to dying to ourself to receive His salvation is the only way we have eternal life. And if you if you've never done that this morning, if you've come today and you've never submitted yourself to Jesus Christ. For the payment that he made on the cross for your sins. Um, I, I, the bad news is that if you've never done that, then, then, you, then you're lost this morning. You've come and you don't have salvation. The good news is you can have it before you leave. All it takes is, I mean, our, our sin brings us to a place where we have to acknowledge that without God's help, I cannot make it to heaven on my own. And in turning from our sin, we, we look to Jesus Christ. And his salvation is the, he is the only way, truth, and life. He's the only door to heaven. And this morning, if you're trying it any other way, you won't get there except for being crucified with Jesus Christ on the cross. So this morning, I hope that you will, my prayer is that you'll submit to that. It's the best decision you'll ever make. And this morning, you can have it. Genesis chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning, and just go ahead and stand as you're turning. Genesis chapter 4, and we'll read uh, just a couple of verses this morning in the book of Genesis 4, in chapter 4. And uh, you should be thankful, because when I started out studying for this week, my intention was to uh, preach through Genesis chapter 5. And, uh, and then I got these two verses going here and realized, I, if I, unless I want them to miss the whole first day of the NFL today to be in church. Well, actually, you wouldn't mind, would you? Probably most of you aren't all that interested. But, but we would be here all afternoon if I had tried to do that. We'll, we'll get to that at, at some point. But these two verses, I just couldn't get through them, couldn't get past them. And felt like this is a truth that we needed to hear before we move on into Genesis chapter 5. So Genesis chapter 4, the last two verses. Let me just give you a little background before we read them. For those of you that haven't been here the last couple weeks. Last week we were in Genesis 4 and we looked at the tendency of mankind to embrace progress without God. To embrace progress but reject God in doing so. And Genesis 4 tells the story of Cain. And if, you'll, if you understand, if you read your Bible, then you know that Cain murdered his brother Abel. And then after uh, God judged him and banished him, Cain left his home and he walked away from God and he began a new society. And in this new society, it was a society that enjoyed great progress. They, he built cities and he built, they established uh, new music and culture and technology and wealth and they... And as they move forward, though, in life, and they had progress, they did so in Nod, where he went, but they did it without God. They were in Nod without God. And while they were enjoying the progress of culture, they were spiraling out of control spiritually. 
So they were redefining marriage, and they were normalizing murder, and their, their life was about themselves. And the mindset, and it's a mindset that we'll see in our culture today, their mindset was, I'm more important than the people around me, and I'm more important than the, peop- than the people that came before me. Look in our culture and read the news, and you'll find we have a culture of people that feel they're more important than everybody around them, and they're more important than even the people that came before them. They're trying to get rid of those, uh, of the memory and the legacy of those that came before them. Progress without God puts man at the center of the wheel. Life revolves around a man-centered worldview, and when it does, it leads to selfishness and chaos, and it's every man for himself, and that leads to the situation here. That's the situation in Nod. It's the way of Cain, and it has men going away from God. But the end of chapter 4 introduces another line of men who make the decision to go toward God. And while the culture is saying, go this way, you've got men that are standing in the face of it and saying, no, I'm going that way. So while the culture goes wayward, there's some men that choose to go Godward. Let's look at verse 25 and 26. It says, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son, and called his name Seth. For God said, She hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth, to him also, there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. There's a lot in that statement and that we're going to look at this morning. And I'm just titling the message today, The Simplicity of a Godward Life. The Simplicity of a Godward Life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And we haven't come here to to waste time, God. We haven't come here to just do something, to get something off our chest or to mark off something that makes us feel better, God. We have come to meet with you. And we have come to hear from your word. And I pray this morning that you would help us to all engage and listen and be fully in tune with your word so that we can make a change. You can make a change through your Holy Spirit's help where it's needed. God, we ask you to speak to us and to bless the reading of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Genesis 4 is one of the most depressing chapters in the Bible. It's a great way to start and get everybody engaged and excited here. You know, not, not long before this, though, I just want you to think about where we're at here in Genesis 4. Not long before this, Adam and Eve had lived in sinless perfection in the Garden of Eden. It wasn't long before this that, that, that they were with God, walking with God in the cool of the day, Adam and Eve. And, and yet when they chose to sin and when they, they chose to disobey God and that sin nature then came upon them and they passed it then to their sons, their first two sons, Cain and Abel, Cain killed his brother Abel. And that's how far we've fallen so fast. And then to make matters worse, Cain um, doesn't repent. He's not remorseful. He actually rejects God. He leaves his home and he starts to uh, build a new society in a land called Nod. And he's moving away from God. That's the way of Cain. And if we were to read 
Jude 11, it says, Woe unto them that walk in the way of Cain or follow the way of Cain and nod without God. It's a culture that is moving away from God and not toward God. And it's amazing how quickly mankind goes from Godward to wayward. You know, you think about it, um, the, the culture, I mean, it wasn't long when Adam and Eve, before this, they were Godward in all of their thinking. They were Godward in their lives. They, they had a relationship with God. They were, everything they did was to walk with God and to submit to God and to follow God. And yet their, their sons, their first two sons, as far as we know, their first two sons, one kills the other and walks away from God. Starts a society moving away from God. Adam and Eve, they're still alive when all of this is going on. And, and I don't know how news traveled back then. Obviously, they didn't have the internet and they didn't have 24-hour news streaming into their homes. I mean, we can find news. I mean, some of you, while I'm preaching this morning, you'll be getting alerts on your phones. I encourage you to turn those off, okay? Um, God has something far more important to say to you than CNN or Fox News, okay? So, um, news travels fast today. I don't know how fast it traveled then, but can you imagine you're Adam and Eve, and, and after a few years of Cain being away from you, uh, you're, 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 you hear news back from the land of Nod, and you hear how everything's going. And imagine how disappointing that must have been for mom and dad. Um, they had to remember how good things were in the garden. They, they walked with God, and they, they had fellowship. They had perfect weather and no pain. I mean, they, there were no biting mosquitoes in the garden. I mean, that's what I think. That's paradise. No mosquitoes. There's no pain. There's no toil. Uh, they didn't have to work the ground or till the ground. It just, it just grew. Um, there's no heartache. And now they've lost their first two sons. Abel is dead, killed by his brother. Cain has walked away from God and walked away from his family. You'd have to think they were heartbroken. And, and, and honestly, having nothing to compare it to, think about this. Um, you've never seen anybody else raise children. You, you've never witnessed what it's like to, to watch another family um, have children and have them grow up. And you have to think they had thoughts like this. Uh, our first son is a murderer who has rejected God. Will all of our children be this way? Our first son turned his back on God and he's in Nod and they're not going Godward, they're going wayward. Will all of our children make that choice? Will all of our sons follow that path? Will all of our children reject God? They had to have been heartbroken. But I love how God works. Because just when you think you can't take another moment of the misery, you find mercy. Adam and Eve receive a glimpse of hope in the form of a new baby boy named Seth. Look at verse 25. And Adam knew his wife, and she bare a son, and called his name Seth. For God said, she hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. So when Eve delivered Cain as an infant. So this is a chapter before, in chapter 4, verse 1. Look what she said. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And when she says, I have gotten a man from the Lord, it's full of hope. That statement is, is, is full of hope. She's holding this baby and she's thinking, this is something special. And honestly, what mom doesn't think that when they hold their babies? I mean, their baby is the most perfect, beautiful, adorable little thing they've ever seen in their lives. And that's according to mom. And the rest of us, 
we can view things a little bit more objectively. Not that we would say anything out loud. But I'm thankful. It's almost like when, when a mama has a baby and she's holding that baby for the first time, it's almost like God puts a veil of beauty over that child's face and that mom sees nothing but perfection. And I'm kind of thankful for it because they don't always come out, you know, the finished product. She's holding that baby, Cain, and she says, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Like, remember, this is Cain. This is her first child, and it's a miracle. She's never seen anything like it. I mean, she's holding a baby. This is how God wants them to reproduce. And she says, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And plenty of commentators believe that she thought Cain was the promised Messiah. Genesis 3, when, when God promised that, that he would send a Messiah to take care of their sins and and, and take care of Satan for them. She's holding a baby and nobody told her any different probably. So she's like, okay, this must be the Messiah. I've gotten a man from the Lord, full of hope, full of promise. I mean, this is exciting. She's holding this baby and it's perfect and beautiful. And then only to realize not probably long after that, that baby's not perfect. That baby had a sin nature just like any other or every other baby would afterwards. And then as Cain grew up, she had to see the signs that well, this probably isn't the Messiah. And she knew it for sure when he brought death instead of life. When he killed his own brother Abel out of anger and envy. And he left his parents in desperate need of hope. And then Eve has another son. And she names this one Seth. And depending on who you read, some Seth either means appointed, uh, as if God specifically appointed him to replace Abel. And that makes sense if you read the verse. Uh, it can also mean set in place of. So the idea is that Seth was appointed to be a substitute for Abel. See, Abel was a Godward young man. Abel, Abel was a man who loved God and lived for God. And so Seth comes along and he is appointed to be in the place of Abel. They couldn't replace Abel. You can't truly replace a child. But they could start over. They had a new beginning. And Seth was a new beginning. And Eve views him with great hope. She has optimism in that little baby she's holding in her arms. And I, I love how God works in new beginnings. Don't you? Aren't you thankful? I mean, life can be terribly hard. Life can just be hard. And I don't even have to go through and, and, and read off some of the examples of hardships that people in our own church body have faced and things that you face. And I have no idea what the hardness has been, the hardship has been in your life. You can go through some major trial. You think there's no recovery. Someone that you love dearly dies. You have a relationship that's broken and there's no hope that it's going to be fixed. You don't see the end. And yet suddenly, and this is how God works often, suddenly God sends you grace that you never expected. He sends you a gift that you weren't even looking for. You weren't even sure that he was listening. And Adam and Eve, they had to have thought Cain's failure was the end of their hope to have children who were Godward. Cain's failure signaled the end of their line of, of Godward lives with nothing to compare it to. They're wondering probably would all of our children do what Cain did. But like any hopeful mother, Eve looks at that baby and it looks into the face of that child and doesn't see brokenness. She sees hope. She sees a new beginning. And this time her mama's heart is right. 
Look at verse 26. And, and to Seth, to him also there was born a son. He called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. You know, this begins a genealogy that goes into Genesis 5. And there's some interesting stuff there. We'll focus, it on, our, I'll focus on it in our next message. But our focus this morning is this phrase found at the end of verse 26. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. There's such a stark contrast here. I mean, the, the, the vast majority of chapter 4 and, and the, the last two verses of chapter 4 are, are completely in contrast. To this point in chapter 4, we've seen a culture going away from God. And now we have evidence of men moving toward God. To this point, those in the line of Cain, they've been wayward. They're going every direction except Godward. They're living for themselves. But now we see a line of men who are Godward and they're living for God. Something happens with Seth that gives hope to us, honestly. Because we too live in the land of Nod. We live in a culture in which people are not seeking God. They're not following God. They're not moving toward God. We live in a place where, without God, where the way of Cain reigns supreme. And when we see, though, that in this testimony, that it's possible to be among those who follow God when it's not easy. It's hard. It's rare. I mean, the current, and you feel this, and I mean, just try to think about putting yourself in the position um, of, of Seth, but not only that, think about where you're at in your position in life. There's a strong current in our culture that is trying to drag us away from God. And, and whether or not you see it, it's true. Our culture is not moving toward God. And if you think about a timeline at the very beginning of our country, we're established on biblical principles and we're established on truth. And I'm not saying that every one of our founding fathers was, was a godly man who was saved and had it all right. But for the most part, they founded this country on Bible truth. And ever since then, we have slowly, the current, at first the current's moving slowly, like in a small stream or a river that's moving slowly. And at first, for a while, I mean, for the first part of our country's history, uh, we, for the most part, held on to those truths. And then, just as years went on, the current got faster and faster and faster. And I would say in the last 15 years, the current has, going, has gone faster than it's ever gone in our country. It's going away from God. And we're standing here somewhere in the current, and as it comes at us, we're trying to, keep, to, to, to stay Godward. We're trying to move our families toward God. Dads and moms, we're trying to, in a culture that wants to drown us in its current, we're standing against the current. And we're just trying to hold on to anything. And we feel like at any moment, if we, if we at any moment lose our footing or we lose the will to fight, we'll be washed away down the stream. Most people have bought into the life of Nod. I mean, your friends... Your family, your neighbors, the schools, the government, the courthouses. I mean, they have bought into the life of Nod in that God has largely been removed from daily life and replaced with progress, replaced with advancement. That's what we're facing. 
And many that should be Godward are swept down the stream. Those who should move toward God are pulled backwards to be Godward in this culture. That used to be the norm. But now it's like a salmon swimming upstream. Now, for us to be in here this morning and gathered around God's word and to be hearing the preaching of truth from the Old Testament even, I mean, people look at us like we are completely counterculture now. We might get discouraged enough to think it's not possible to stay standing, except for a verse like verse 26. Because in a culture not unlike ours, there began to be men that called upon the name of the Lord. See, this is the first example of the role God's people have to represent him in the world. And God has always, and listen, God has always sought a remnant. By that I mean he's always looked for a group of people that will shine a light that points in a dark world to God. And, and at first it was Israel. In Isaiah 43 we see how God told Israel, "Ye are my witnesses. You're my witnesses in the world. This is my people. I want you to point to me and I need a representation in the world. Well, they didn't represent him all that well. So he turned, he turned to the church. He turned his attention to the New Testament church, which by the way, we're sitting in one this morning. We are witnesses now, according to Acts chapter one, verse eight. We are witnesses now. We are God's representation. And I'm not saying this as a form of pride this morning. I'm saying it as a form of responsibility. God needs a remnant on earth. He's always sought for a people to represent him in a dark world. He's looking at New Testament churches like Eastside Baptist Church, and he's looking for people that will represent him in a world that desperately needs to see God. Who's going to shine the light if not us? He's seeking those who will be Godward and and focused instead of uh, instead of nod focused, instead of the way of Cain. He's seeking those who will be Godward instead of wayward. And it's difficult because it's countercultural. And we want to fit in. I mean, it's not easy to stand alone, is it? But the example of Seth in verse 26 shows us even when it's difficult, it's doable. And even when it's difficult, it's actually simple. Listen, you don't have to have years of Christian experience under your belt. You simply have to be willing. And I want to look at how simple it is to live a Godward life. The simplicity of a Godward life. And you say, well, I don't know what world you're living in. I don't find it to be simple. No, I didn't say it's easy. And there's a difference between those two, isn't there? There's a difference between something being simple and something being easy. And I've got lots of examples going through my mind, but I'm going to move forward uh, and, and get through this this morning. But you, you can think of some yourself. Something that, should, that, that is simple in concept, but is certainly not easy to perform. Well, let me show you where it starts with simplicity to live a Godward life in a wayward culture. Is first, it's a choice. Look, it says in, again in verse 26... Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. And you say, okay, well, what's the significance of that? It says, then began men. Following God has a beginning point in time. So you know what it means? Is that somebody chose. Somebody made a choice. 
So for Seth, the way that I think about it, it's connected to the birth of his son, Enos. It says, there there was born to him a son. He called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. So I wonder if Seth had an Eve moment. You know, Eve holding that baby uh, when when her son Seth was born. She's holding that baby thinking, okay, um, this is this is good. This is a replacement for Abel. This is he's appointed to represent God. This is good. And I wonder if it's when it says that Seth then had a son named Enos. It says then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. I don't know for sure, but in my imagination runs wild. And and so let's go with it for a little bit. I'm imagining Seth, and he's holding his baby, and he's like, "Okay, this is awesome." I remember the first time I held a, one of my own children. A little six-pound, blonde-headed baby named Olivia Renee. I mean, she was just tiny, this tiny little thing. And I had the dad veil on, and I was like, she's perfect. Like, there's not a flaw. Like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. I'm holding this baby. And you know what was going through my mind in that moment? And I'm not, I'm not being pious this morning. First of all, there's nothing like holding your own baby. But second, what's going through my mind was not, boy, I hope she makes a lot of money. I mean, I wouldn't mind that. I mean, now that I'm thinking about it, say it out loud, I'm like, that wouldn't be such a bad deal. She's in college. I mean, I wouldn't, but she's in Bible college, so never mind. It's not going to happen. But you know what? I wasn't thinking, I hope she makes a ton of money. I wasn't holding that little six pound baby that was about 18 and a half inches. She was tiny. I wasn't holding that baby. And she's still tiny, by the way. I wasn't still holding, I wasn't holding that baby thinking, well, I hope she, she grows up to be the best in sports. I hope she grows up to have the best education and she just, I hope she just succeed. I want her to succeed in life. I do. But honestly, as a dad who does his best to be Godward, and I'm not perfect by any means. You know what my, her mom and I thought as we held that first baby, we're thinking, I hope she loves God. I hope she grows up to serve God. I don't care about the money and I don't care about all the other stuff. I don't, if she will, and this is the prayer I've prayed for my children more than any other. God, would you help them to love you and serve you with all their heart? And if they'll do those two things, I don't care what else happens. And I'm not being pious this morning. I'm not pretending like I'm more spiritual than somebody else. But in my heart, in that moment, I knew the only way that she could live a life that matters and that has meaning and that can fill, fulfills her and gives her contentment is she, she loves God first. Right. And that should be the prayer of every parent as we hold our babies. And I just wonder, I mean, seriously, something changed in me the first time I held her. And I don't know what happened. I don't know what came over me, but it was different because in that moment I was like, this is real. I mean, what do I do now? But I was also thinking there's some things in my life that I better straighten up because they're going to affect her now. It, It was a sobering moment. It was a delightful, joyful, happy moment, but it was sobering. And I wonder if that's what happened to Seth. I know this is, we're just reading into this a little bit, but I wonder if he held Enos and maybe he was thinking, I better get serious about what matters the most because he's looking around in a culture and in Nod, there's nobody going toward God. 
There's nobody living a Godward life. Everybody's wayward. Everybody's living for themselves. And the culture is sweeping hard at his feet. And he's holding this baby and he's thinking, if I don't get serious right now, my son won't ever be serious about this either. And he looked around the culture and he thought, no, nobody's representing God. And I wonder if I could change that. I wonder if I could be the one. I wonder if I could be the one. Maybe God would let me be the one that stands and makes a difference in a culture that has practically all but swept God away. And the next thing you know, it says, then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. And listen, the implication here is that commitment to God that was rare to find somebody that followed God now. In that day, it didn't take long, but in that day and age, it seems like the commitment to God had diminished. And this choice, Seth's choice to stand for God and follow God and call upon the name of the Lord, reignited it. It's almost like this is the first revival in the Bible. And you know what? It started when something got Seth's attention. Maybe it was a baby. Maybe it was a close call with death. But something changed his perspective. And here's my point today, and I want you to listen here. The only thing keeping you back from following God is your choice not to. And you say, that's so simple. It is. The only thing keeping you from a Godward life is your choice not to live a Godward life. Because God created man with a free will and you're no different. You're not, listen, you're not the product of your environment. I know that's what they teach you now in schools and in colleges, that you're a product of your environment. But, but if we were a product of our environment, Adam and Eve would have never sinned in the garden. You're not a product of your environment. You, you're not destined to be a certain way. You're not destined to live in servitude to sin the rest of your life. You're not destined to be anything. Uh, you can choose a Godward life. And you say, but you don't know my background and you don't know my family history. Nobody in my family has ever followed God. Nobody in my family has ever been Godward. Well, guess what? You can change that. You can be the first to change the trend in your family this morning. And you say, my family don't care about God. My dad and mom, I mean, they were split up. I never knew my dad or I never went to church. Uh, They never represented God at all in my home. Listen, we've got people in this room and you can walk around. In every section, I could ask somebody to stand up and give us their testimony. And they were the ones that said, you know what? I'll stand and I'll change the trend in my family tree. I'll be the first to live a Godward life in my family. You're not destined. Just because you've been on a path your whole life, it doesn't mean you're destined to stay there because living a Godward life is simply a choice. So what's it going to take for you to begin with God? For some, it's, it's, it's a tragedy. Maybe a tragedy gets your attention. For others, it's maybe the misery of sin. And maybe you've come in this morning and say, I'm so miserable. I have no contentment. I'm discontent. There's something's missing in my life. And maybe you're looking around and maybe in your, you're, you've been raised in church. And maybe you're looking around and saying, there's a need. Somebody needs to stand up and make a choice to live a Godward life. But whatever position you're in, here's what you do. Begin. Make the choice. It's that simple. 
And you say, no, it's, it can't be that simple. I've got this in my background and I've got this and I've got these problems and I've got these issues and I've got this job. And I, I'm the, it's, it can't be that simple, but it is. All Seth did was choose. In a culture that had nothing to do with God, he said, you know what? I'm going to stand. It says he stood up and he began to call upon the name of the Lord. That's all it takes. You realize, and I talked about this in Sunday school, but God is such a God of love that he responds to our humility. And if you will, with simple humility this morning, come to God and say, I want to begin my life toward God this morning. It says, when he, we draw nigh to God, he draws nigh to us. And this morning, if you will, with simple humility, come and say, I make the choice to live for God, then he will draw nigh to you. He's not going to say, you know, you're not worthy of of following me. If that was the case, the Apostle Paul would have been unworthy because he murdered people. He he killed people in the early church. And yet when he in humility said, okay, Lord, what will thou have me do? God said, okay, you draw nigh to me, I draw nigh to you. And it's time to use you in a way that you'll make a difference that we're still feeling the effects of right here at Eastside Baptist Church. Those churches that he planted, the missions works that he started, and they spread throughout the world. Listen, we can thank Paul for having a humble spirit before God and saying, God, whatever it is, I'm not worthy, but if you can use me, I'll let you. So what's it going to take for you this morning to begin with God? It's time for somebody in this room to get started with God this morning. And it's time for you to make a choice. Has something brought you to the point of decision with God? And maybe your sin has left you just completely miserable and there's a, tr- or there's a trial in your life and it's brought you to the end of yourself. Or there's a broken relationship and you feel like it's left you with nothing. You've got nothing left. Let me just encourage you with this. You're never left with nothing. You always have the option to choose God. You say, well, you don't know what I've been through. I get it. You say, you should see what I'm up against. My past, my upbringing, my tendencies. And I understand, I don't, I'm not saying I know all of it. I, I'm not at all. But I do understand that everybody comes with things that make it hard. But what was Seth up against? He was up against a culture that was moving away from God. And you know, he had very few examples showing him how to do it. You know, Seth didn't have a church to go to. Seth didn't, he couldn't walk into uh, Eastside Baptist Church in, in, over there and say, okay, you know what? Um, somebody show me, somebody disciple me. Show me how to be a good dad. Show me how to live for God. Show me, I mean, show me, what do I do? No, he didn't have a church to go to. He didn't have mentors to show him. He didn't have God's word to open. And he say, well, you just don't know what I'm up against. Well, what was Seth up against? I mean, the odds were stacked against Seth. That he would be the kind of guy that makes a difference and says, no, I will choose to live for God. No, he didn't have all those things. But he made the choice to do right in the face of wrong. And God blessed him for it. And today, folks, the choice is yours as well. I, I, I've used this quote for a long time. Is a man named Viktor Frankl. He's a Holocaust survivor, and some of his stories of, of his time during World War II are awful. 
But he said, everything can be taken from a man but one thing. The last of the human freedom to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. And here's a man uh, who is uh, in, in the uh, work camps, Holocaust survivor, most of the people he knew killed. And he says, they could take everything else away from me, but the one thing they can't take away, the last of the human freedoms, is my ability to choose my attitude in any given set of circumstances. To choose my own way. And listen, you, whatever your background is, wherever you're coming from, you always have the choice to choose. You always have the option to begin with God. And this morning, I'm hoping that you would submit to that. Everything can be taken away, but you will always have the choice to live a Godward life. If you want to change direction, choose God. The choice is yours. And in the face of a wayward culture, you can make the choice to be Godward. And I'm talking to those that aren't saved this morning. And I'm going to present it very clearly. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And there's, I happen to believe there's got to be somebody in a room, that, a group of people this size that is not saved this morning. And all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know, you, you, we're all sinners before God. And, and I'm not saying that excluding myself. All have sinned. I have sinned. You have sinned. You have sinned. You have sinned. You have sinned. We're all sinners and we've all come short of the glory of God. All have sinned. And because of our sin, we are now we are excluded from heaven. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says in Romans 6.23. So because of your sin, the consequences of your sin before a holy God are that you don't have access to heaven unless you've got some serious help. Well, the great thing is, even though the wages of your sin is death, and you deserve to be eternally separated from God in a place called hell because of your sin... Bible says in Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So even though your sin has put you in a position to deserve to be separated from God forever, Jesus Christ came and died on a cross in your place and he took upon himself the payment for your sins. And all we have to do, it says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This morning, if you would but simply say, I want to begin with God and I need to take care of my salvation first. You can begin with God this morning when by faith you simply place your trust in Jesus Christ for his payment as a substitute on the cross for your sins. And you say, well, it can't be that, that simple. It is. Salvation is, your, is a choice. It's your choice. We've got some in here and you've got other things that you're trying to choose and it's a matter of surrender this morning. You've got something you can't give up to God. Well, you just have to choose. It's a matter of sanctification in your life. You've got something that that is a sin that you've got to confess and make right with God. And yes, it's hard and being bound by sin is terrible. But it's a choice you make. Listen, the simplicity of a Godward life, it starts with a choice. But it's also, number two, it's a call. It's a choice, but it's a call. See, look look again, it says, 
And he called his name, the name, his name Enos, then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. So the Hebrew word for call in the Old Testament, especially the way Moses used the word in his writings, it's more about proclamation than prayer. So when you say, so if I say Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, we think about that as meaning, well, call upon the name of the Lord means that I cry to God and in prayer, and, and if a prayer, he shows mercy to me. And that's a very accurate use of that. But in the Old Testament, particularly in the first five books of the Bible, the way that Moses used this phrase to call upon the name of the Lord was less about prayer and more about proclamation. So if you were to call, it's like call out the name of the Lord. And so what Seth is doing is is he makes a choice that he's going to call out the name of the Lord. He's going to proclaim God to those around him. And if you'll notice there, at the end of verse 26, the last word is capitalized. That's a proper name. It's Jehovah. So he's not just calling on upon the name of a Lord. He's not just calling upon the name of a lowercase God. No, he's calling upon the name of the Lord, Jehovah. See, the point being made here is that in the midst of a culture, and I want you to lock in, in the midst of a culture that prided itself in progress without God, there was a group of people, and it likely started here with Seth, who chose to worship and follow Jehovah. They weren't afraid to proclaim his name. They weren't afraid to make him known. They didn't hide that they served Jehovah. They proclaimed and they followed the Lord in their words and in their worship and in their way of life. And we, we, we live in the land of Nod. And we live in a culture that's so intent on moving ahead that they've left God behind. And once we've made the choice to stand against the current of the culture, it's time to act. If you say, I would like to begin with God. I would like to make the choice this morning. So here's what you do once you make the choice. You decide that I'm going to be a person that's not afraid to call upon the name of the Lord. To proclaim the name of the Lord in this culture. And God is looking for people, or sometimes even just one person, that in the middle of all the selfishness and all the pride is willing to set everything else aside and represent God. They're willing to set aside their time. And they're willing to set aside their money and their jobs and their sports and their activities and their entertainment and their trucks and their hunting. Don't meddle too much, Pastor. They're willing to set it all aside and say, listen, it doesn't matter. Whatever else I've got going on and I can enjoy all those things. But God is always first. And I will, with my life, proclaim the name of the Lord to everybody around me at any cost. I am willing to make the, the, the name of the Lord known with my words and with my worship and with my way of life. See, God's people must get out of the cycle of asking, how can I fit in and still be a Christian? See, that will become less and less possible in our culture. See, it used to be maybe in the 50s, you could basically fit in in culture um, and still be a Christian but every decade takes us further away from that possibility. At some point, we're going to have to stop thinking, how can I be, fit in and still look like the culture and still enjoy the culture and things of the culture, but still be a Christian? It's less and less likely now. We must instead ask, how can I most accurately represent a holy God to a culture that desperately needs it? 
Nod's all about these shallow peripherals. The way of Cain is all about self-indulgence. Without God, it's about living life for self. And as we saw last week, it, it mattering more than those before you and those around you. But Seth's choice, Seth's line became about making sure the culture was not aware of themselves, but that, he would, that the, the culture was aware of Jehovah. The way of Cain is about self. Build your wealth. Build your empire. Get as much as you can. Enjoy the rewards of labor. What a selfish way to live. That every action in your life is about what benefits you. That every word is about what makes you look the best. That every thought is how to get what you want. Cain and Nod eats the fruit of his own labor and he does it all for himself. And listen, this represents our culture. When he stands up, Nod, in the the way of Cain, when they stand up, they say, look at me. Does that not represent our culture now? Look at me. I mean, pro athletes, they pound their own chests when they score a touchdown or they have a slam dunk and they're saying, look at me. And politicians will do anything to make their opponent look bad so they can look better. Look at me. And cultures on social media and Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Don't meddle too much, pastor. Posting a selfie that looks just like the one they posted yesterday. Look at me. That's our culture in a nutshell. Is look at me. That's the way of Cain. It's how it is in Nod. And what we need is some of God's people to turn the camera up and point people to God and say, look at him. See, the way of Seth was Godward. He called upon the name of the Lord. He didn't hide who he followed. He made sure people knew about God. His life was about God, not himself. His worldview was God-centered, not man-centered. I mean, Seth was willing in a culture that hadn't seen it much before. He was willing to stand up in that generation, his generation, and point to heaven and say, don't look at me, look at God. Seth was willing in that generation to stand up in front of his neighbors and say, no, his name is Jehovah. The God I serve, his name is Jehovah. And he created the heaven and the earth. And guess what? He was willing to stand in his culture, in his generation and say, oh yeah, my God, Jehovah, that's his name. He didn't just create the heaven and the earth. I mean, it says uh, that he made the stars also. Like He just spoke them into existence with a word. And by the way, Seth stands up at work and he says, oh, by the way, Guess what? Jehovah, the God that I'm naming by name, you know what he did? He, he reached down and he formed uh, my, my father, Adam. He took the dust of the earth and with his own hand, you guys are not going to believe this. This is the God we serve, okay? His name's Jehovah. He reached down and with his hands, he formed with dust and he made my dad out of it. And then he bent down and I don't know how this worked. Um, because God's a spirit and he doesn't have a body. You know, I'll explain that later. But then he breathed into my dad the breath of life. And guess what? My dad became a living soul. And he was just dirt before that. Yeah, that's the God I serve. And, yet, and not only that, listen. And yeah, my parents blew it. I know they blew it, okay? And, and they failed in the Garden of Eden. And they sinned and they disobeyed God. And all of this stuff is because of what they did. But listen, even when God, Jehovah, was forcing them out of the garden, guess what? He showed them mercy. 
and he let them make a sacrifice that would cover their sin for the time being. And he made a promise that one day he'd send a Messiah that would take care of all of their sins and yours and mine. And even in Nod, here's Seth in a culture that's going away from God. And he's standing up and he's saying, no, listen, I know you're making a big deal of all the cities and you're making a big deal of culture and music instruments and, and metal work. But listen, and he's standing up and he's saying, listen, all that stuff that you guys are doing, it's nothing compared to Jehovah. You should see my God. And he's willing in a situation where nobody else was standing to stand up and say, listen, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. That's what it means to call upon the name of the Lord. To proclaim the name of the Lord. So friends, listen, have you made the choice to make known the name of the Lord in your culture? In a world that's all about themselves, who's going to represent the one who actually deserves the attention? There's not many out there that are truly giving credit to the real God. I mean, God gets thrown around all the time. I'm just asking, do you proclaim him in your words? It says, then began men to call, to proclaim it. How much is God, Jehovah, how much is he on your lips? When's the last time you talked about Christ to a co-worker or a neighbor? Here's the sad thing about all this, is I think the world probably says God's name more than God's people do. The world talks about God all the time. They throw his name out there all the time. And yet we've got God's people who should be proclaiming the name of the Lord in their workplace, and they've never said a word. And we've got young people at school and they should be proclaiming the name of their Lord with their classmates and they've been silent. And yet the world throws his name out there all the time and we've, it's sad that they're using his name more than we are. Do you proclaim him in your words? Do you proclaim him in your worship? What does your religious life say about your commitment to God? How serious are you about being part of a local New Testament church? And listen, this is, and again, I'm not lifting up Eastside Baptist Church. There's a lot of good local churches out there. Uh, but, but God is right now working through a local church. That's how he does it, through local churches. This is his plan. His plan to be represented on planet Earth right now is a church just like this. So if you aren't committed to a local church then you have no part in God's plan to represent himself on planet earth right now. And you say, but I, I hand out tracts and I give information to other people and I'm a witness. I understand that. But, but, and I'm sure that, God, that on some level that pleases God, that his name is being lifted up, but he's meaning for it to be done through the authority of a local church, through the ministry of a local church. So get in. And see God bless your efforts even more. Because we're doing it the way God wanted us to. For those of you that are involved and you're here and you're plugged in, how committed are you truly to the church that he loves? I know 2020 has been weird. That's an understatement. But that does not absolve us from being faithful to God's house. So do you proclaim him in your words? Do you proclaim his name in your worship and do you proclaim God in your way of life? I mean, does your life point to your God? 
Is it Godward? See, your words, listen, listen, your words, your words can say your life is Godward. And your worship can be faithful and you're here every week. But if your life Monday through Saturday doesn't reflect God in holiness, then it doesn't matter what you say and it doesn't matter where you worship. Your life, your way of life should also proclaim the name of the Lord. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Folks, God seeks a remnant to represent him in a wayward culture. But I would submit to you that most of his representatives have been carried away by the current. I would submit to you that I, I would not be surprised if more than not have been swept into the current. And they may with their words and with their worship look the part, but truly they're not living a Godward life. And you say, well, what's at stake? Well, the, just the souls of men. God wants to have a remnant represent him to the world, to the culture. Listen, that means your neighbors are at stake. So you deciding to choose God and make him known, you deciding that could have an eternal impact on your neighbor. It could have an eternal impact on your friends and your family and parents. Your children's souls are at stake. Remember the effect of Genesis 3? It's death. Listen, that's the default for mankind. We're already all heading that direction. The way of Cain. Nod, that's the default. So for Seth to rise up and change course, that was the exception. Otherwise, the course of man is set. And it's moving away from God because of sin. The souls of mankind are at stake. For our folks here, let me just make this statement and we'll start wrapping this up. God's plan to rescue souls is through souls who've been rescued. God's plan to rescue souls is through souls who've been rescued. Yes, Jesus Christ died on the cross and he made the payment. He's who it's all about. But listen, the message is dependent on rescued souls choosing to make their God known. If he has rescued your soul, how passionate are you about proclaiming him in your words and worship and way of life? Just this last week, it's just about simplicity. I, Jason was helping me. We were carrying stuff into the building. And I gave Jason a big box that was beyond him. Because I do that. I'm that kind of dad. <laughs> and it wasn't terribly heavy, but I knew his little arms couldn't reach around it. But I wanted to see how he figured out a way to get it to my office. So he made it into the front little lobby foyer entryway up there and he set it down and he was just looking around and I said Jason there's a way to get this box to my office if you just think think outside the box <laughs> and I said I said if, I bet if you walk down the hallway you'll find a way to get that box to my office and figure it out and what I was hoping is you would do is walk by the big coat rack room up there and see that wheelchair in there 
and think, oh, I could do that. So he's, I said, if you'll walk down the hallway, I think you could find a way to get that box to my office. So he's like, okay. So he starts going down this hallway. And I'm like, Jace. I said, Jace, stop. Go down the other hallway and just look around. I'm not getting frustrated. I'm just passionate. Look around. You can find a way to do this. So he goes in and I come back in with a load of stuff. And he's coming back out from the coat rack room. And I see the light bulb on, on his face. And he's figured this out. So he goes to the box and he starts dragging the box. And he was going to drag the box to the wheelchair, load it in the wheelchair, then move it. And I said, Jace, what are you doing? I said, all you have to do is get the wheelchair and bring the wheelchair to the box. You don't have to take the box to the wheelchair. And he's like, what an idea. So he goes and gets the wheelchair, brings it to the box, puts the box in the wheelchair, and after a long time, finally got it to my office. But you know what I was thinking? Sometimes I wonder if God looks at us like that. Because literally all this verse says is, all you do to follow God and stand for him in a wayward culture, to have a Godward life, is you just have to choose. And then you have to make his name known. That's it. And yet we're, complex, we're all about complexity. And we're like, oh, but what about this? And what about that? And, what, and God's saying, just get the wheelchair and take it to the box. You know what? Life is much simpler than we make it to be. And a Godward life, as hard as it sounds, it's simple. If you will simply choose to live for God and make his name known, you can have a Godward life. And in, in lives hang in the balance, folks. Souls are at stake. We're the Godward in a wayward culture. God needs representation. And if you're a child of his, it can be you this morning. You must simply make the choice to make him known. Every head bowed, every eye closed as we stand together. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.